Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought, brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have, done to me, you have done to me things that ought not to have been done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did, what did you see? Why, why did you do this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister and the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do for me. At every place in which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and, made, uh, and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Um, this is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. And uh, as you're being seated, turn to your neighbor and, and give them a high five and say, wow, I'm glad you're here. And mean it. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, wow, I'm glad you're here too. So good morning, Flood Church. Uh, I'm happy to be with you, and I hope that you're happy to be here as well together as God's family. And so it's always, it's always a wonderful thing to be together, isn't it? Amen? Good. Well, today we're going to be talking about this uh, subject of fear, uh, something that all of us can relate to, and Luke mentioned it as he was leading worship today. It's not, it's not if we're going to be afraid. Uh, what should we do? But when we are afraid, because all of us experience a fear of different kinds. And as we begin talking together, I want you to think for a minute about what's, what's the thing that you, uh, that you feel like, like, what's number one? What's the number one thing that you're most afraid of? Uh, for some, I mean, statistically, one of the top fears that people have is public speaking. And so I've taken that away from you today. So we're not going to call you up, and you don't have to speak. So you can take that off your list. But what what is the kind of the number one thing that that you are fearful of? Um, for some people, it's failure. For some, it's disappointing others. For others, it's abandonment or betrayal, as we have learned in recent weeks uh, about that subject. Uh, for others, it might be exposure. Maybe you have. Uh, there are things about you that you would never want anyone else to know and you're afraid that other people might find out about that thing. Maybe it's losing your job. Um, maybe it's, uh, it's uh, um, people leaving you or maybe, it's, maybe you're afraid of being alone. What is your, kind of think of that, what is your top fear uh, that you have? And uh, keep that in your mind as we, as we talk together uh, today. Now, when I think about my own life and things that I have been afraid of, of course, or, uh, things that maybe cause me fear, you know, most of it's pretty irrational. And uh, early on, when I was 
first starting in, in the ministry many, many years ago, um, you know, I, when I would get up to preach in the morning, I'm, I mean, this happened for like a long time, like I think it was a couple of years. Very often I'd get up in the morning and I'd just feel sick and I'd get sick. And then when I was done being sick, I would go and preach and I'd feel better. It's, and I was just so stressed, you know, and it's not something like if you had asked me, are you fearful? Are you stressed? Are you anxious? I would say, no, I'm not fearful or stressed. But inside, I was feeling that way. Now, of course, that went away a long time ago because as you gain confidence at doing something, uh, your fear begins to kind of dissipate. Now, there's always a little bit of nervousness. I was a little bit nervous uh, coming up here today and to share God's word with you. Um, but over time those fears can dissipate and I think also something that really helps is the more prepared you are the less fear can tend to enter in especially with something like what's happening today with with speaking um, or even with your job the more prepared you feel for your job the less fear that you have the less prepared you are the more fear that you have because you might say well what am what am I gonna say so uh, things like that but I say if there's a time when I when I had the opportunity to experience a lot of fear, and I did experience a lot of fear, uh, probably the most traumatic point of, for, for life for both Cindy and I is uh, when our son uh, Isaiah, who was 13 at the time, he became very sick with cerebral malaria. That was in 2018. Many of you may remember uh, praying for him. And, uh, and God did an amazing miracle. Uh, and even, even to the point that uh, this week, Isaiah turned 21. He celebrated his 21st birthday. Uh, yeah, you can cheer. You can wish, maybe he's watching, I don't know. You can wish Isaiah a happy birthday. Um, and, um, and he's completely healed. Like there's no evidence of anything that's ever been wrong with him uh, in turn, uh, as far as illnesses and things like that. And um, so God did this amazing thing, but he, he took us through a journey. And it was an, over a matter of days, and, and over maybe two days, he went from being a very healthy young man to being on death's door, to the point where we didn't know if he was going to make it. And people around us were very afraid. We could see their fear. We could see our colleagues and friends were afraid that he wasn't going to make it. I remember being at KCH at Central Hospital, um, spending a lot of time there over several days, overnights, and gather. I, I remember we, we, were, we had friends and colleagues that were gathered in, in one of the waiting spaces uh, outside of uh, ICU, and uh, just people praying and worshiping God. Um, friends of mine who I could see were worried. They didn't think that he was going to make it. Uh, and, um, and for us, our world went from being quite big to very small. Um, prior to that time, there were so many things that we were thinking about and worrying about and talking about and working on. But all of a sudden, in a matter of just hours, only one thing mattered. Only one thing mattered, and that was that God would do something, that somehow a miracle would happen and he could be restored. Um, 
And that's what God did. Hallelujah. And you are a part of the miracle. And we are so thankful for Flood Church and how this church really prayed and interceded. And it's because of those prayers that, that he's well. And uh, so, you know, this, the, the, I could be here a long time telling the story, but eventually we had to life flight Isaiah. He was on full life support here. We had to life flight him to, to Joburg. Um, and in Joburg, the doctors cared for him, but they didn't think he was going to make it either. In fact, to the point of in the ICU, they give us full access. So they said we can come in and out of ICU anytime that we want. Even to the point of they had like one of those push button access things to get into the door. They gave us the code. Okay. So if you would like access to an ICU in Joburg, come and see me. I'll be glad to give you the code for that. But why did they do that? They did that because they didn't think he was going to make it. And they wanted us to be able to spend those last moments with him. But we just prayed. That's what we did. And, um, you know, I've never, I've been spent a lot of time in hospitals, as, as you do as pastors. Pastor Humphreys does as well, visiting people, visiting um, the sick at hospitals. Never bothered me going into hospitals. Um, I always actually enjoyed the opportunity just to be with people and pray with them and offer some sort of comfort. I have friends who hated going to hospitals. They wouldn't, even when they had loved ones go, they'd say, well, I don't know if I can go. Um, but for, for me, it never bothered me. But, but at that time, and I never felt nervous, but at that time, every time we'd come, start coming in the doors of the hospital, I started feeling nervous. Because we didn't know. We didn't know if he was going to make it or not, how it was all going to turn out. We just knew that we needed God. Uh, it's kind of weird, because, but I don't think, and Cindy and I have talked about this afterwards, I don't think we, during that time, we ever asked a why question. I, I don't know why. It's not, it's not in for any specific reason. We just, we just never asked that. We never asked, why, God, is this happening? We said things like, I can't believe it's happening. We said that. Um, but we just said, I, we just said, God, we wonder what God is doing and how he's going to use this. And we just clung to him, actually. And as I said, the world became very small because nothing else really mattered at all. And, um, you know, you get into those moments and things like ministries and successes and things like that they just kind of all go out the window you know you just don't care we just want our son to make it and he did um, and we're so grateful to God because we know that many don't um, but you were a part of that miracle your prayers God heard your prayers um, we were amazed by so many different things we were amazed at, at how God gave us a revelation of how big the body of Christ is because we would send, Cindy would put stuff out on Facebook and we start getting messages back from all kinds of crazy places, from China and Thailand and, and South America and, and uh, Mozambique and, and South Africa and all kinds of places within Africa and the US. And we're like, wow. And uh, in fact, a lot of times we'd be sleeping and, or we wouldn't be sleeping. It'd be late at night, and Cindy would get a Facebook message, because Cindy's the Facebook guru in our family. 
And so the message would come in and she'd say, hey, listen to this. And she'd read some encouragement, you know, a scripture that somebody sent, a song that somebody sent. And um, uh, do you know that song? Um, do, it's by whose who's elevation, I think, is called Do It Is It Do It Again, Lord, that one? Still to this day, if we come up to Flood Church and, that, and the praise team is doing that, and I walk in, I start to get teary. Because I know what God did. And uh, so... That was a time, that was probably the one time in my life that I have felt the most out of control, the most unsure, the most fearful. Um, it's actually during that time that I really learned to love the Psalms, by the way. Because all we could do, Isaiah was, was not awake, he was basically in a kind of a coma, but he just wasn't awake at that time because he's on full life support. So we just sit at his bed, uh, me on one side, Cindy on the other, and we just pray for him and, and talk to each other and things like that. But we did a lot of uh, speaking of scripture, so we'd read scripture. And a lot of those scriptures we read with the Psalms, and that's really where the Psalms came alive for me, just speaking the word of God. That's where I learned that the word of God has power. And, and that's not just a, a phrase that I'm saying. We always say the word of God has power, but I'm telling you the word of God has power. And so, um, and all of those things. And, and I know that you have experiences of fear, trials, brokenness, situations in your life that you had no answers for, that you felt so out of control, you had no idea how you were going to make it through that situation. And... Um, and that's what Abraham was feeling in this story. This story happens uh, later in Abraham's life, by the way. So the, the story starts in Genesis 12 when, or Genesis 11 when, when a Abraham, who was known at the time as Abram, was called by God to go on a journey. A journey where God didn't tell him where he was going, he just gave him the destination. And then between Genesis, Genesis chapter 11 and now where we are in chapter 20, uh, God has been entering into Abram's life and, and revealing to him his faithfulness. And he's been leading Abram, now Abraham, to deeper experiences of what it means to know God and to follow him and to have faith in God. And, and I encourage you to go back and read the story of, of Abram slash Abraham to see how God has, has led him. But you know, this story that we have here, and so he, he gave Abraham all kinds of promises. He promised Abraham that he would be, his name would be great and that he would birth a great nation and that he would have descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the, and the, the sand and the seas. And he promised him a land and he promised him a people and he promised him children. And... Uh, and we're at the point in Abram's story just before uh, his wife Sarah becomes expectant with their son Isaac, who becomes the heir uh, that fulfills the promise that God had given to Abraham. But the reality is that when God promised Abraham that through him and through his children all of the world would be blessed, he was speaking not about Isaac but about Jesus. 
that because Jesus is of the lineage of Abraham, Jesus is the fulfillment of that, of that promise. But here in this story right now, I, Abraham isn't thinking about any of that stuff. You know, God has given him a new identity, has been showing him faithfulness through all these years. But right now in this story, when this takes place, Abraham isn't thinking about any of those things. Abraham has just come from an experience where of seeing the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment of, where the judgment of God came. He delivered through, through Abraham's intervention and negotiating with God. God spares his relative Lot and their family. But, but that's where he's coming from. So he's coming from that experience and he's traveling to the other side of the country. And I have to tell you that if I saw an experience like that, I would probably be going to the other side of the country too. Um, but as he's, as he's traveling and he finds a place to settle and to stay for a while, uh, and it's this area that's called Gerar, it's right on the shores of uh, modern day Israel and the Mediterranean Sea. It's actually an area that would be known today as the Gaza Strip, is Palestinian territory today, but it's right on the coast of, of, the, of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. But at this time, it was, it was like a different country, a different nation, and it was ruled by this king by the name of Abimelech. And as uh, Abraham is going uh, there, he's, he's got all these questions that are coming up in his mind, and this is where the fear starts to come from. And he starts to worry about how he's going to be received by this king Abimelech as he comes in. Because Abraham is, is uh, somewhat of a wealthy man, so he has, he has uh, you know, wives and, and he's got all kinds of livestock and wealth that are coming with him. And as he's coming into this area, it's, it will be known that he's coming there. And he's wondering, well, how am I going to be received? And then as he sees his wife, uh, Sarah, he's always had this fear that because Sarah is so beautiful, that another man will desire him and kill Abraham and take Sarah as his wife. Now, this, isn't the, now this is the fear that's going through Abraham's mind at the time. And, you know, fear is a funny thing, isn't it? Because what is a fear? A fear is a, is, um, it, it's a, a fear is the anticipation of something happening. It hasn't happened yet, but we're anticipating it, and we think that it might cause a lot of pain and trouble in our lives. Okay? So a fear, a fear is just an anticipation of something. And so Abraham has, and our minds are kind of crazy, isn't it? Like if you go to work and your boss says something very critical of you, your mind starts to do really crazy stuff after that. Like it starts coming up with scenarios like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be fired tomorrow. You know, things like that. Or if you go to the doctor and you receive a diagnosis and, uh, about a certain illness and you go home and you start to think about that illness, your mind does all kinds of crazy things to you and you start thinking about all the what ifs. And pretty soon you're planning your funeral for the next week because of those questions. If, if your wife gets mad at you or your husband gets mad at you, you start getting all those what-if things and you start wondering, are we going to make it? Without realizing it just was a thing. You know, we'll get over it. And so, uh, so fear works like that. So fear is working on, on Abraham as he comes into this area and he starts to worry. Now this isn't the first time that Abraham has had this fear because this also happens not long after, after 
Abram was originally called by God in chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, there's a famine in the land, and Abram has to, to preserve his family. He has to take his family down to a place where there isn't a famine, where he can find water and food and things like that. So they travel down to Egypt. And in Egypt, he's afraid of the same thing. He's afraid that, well, the Pharaoh's going to see that Sarah is so beautiful and he's going to knock me off and kill me and he's going to take my wife. And, and he's worried about that. And so then he says to Sarah, okay, when we get down there, uh, you are my sister and I'm your brother. Because he's saying, well, if they're siblings, maybe it won't be such a big deal. So... This is the idea that Abraham comes up with in his own mind. You know, when we have things happen to us and fears that come up in us and when we're worried about the unknowns, you and I do this all the time. We come up with great plans, ways that we're going to solve our problem. In fact, that might even be brilliant plans, right? So turn to your neighbor and say, you have a brilliant plan. You have a brilliant plan. And then tell them, I hope it works out for you. <laughs> I mean, we've got all kinds of plans. Like, like uh, you can't pay the rent or the bills, and you come up with some strategy about how you're going to take care of it, right? It may work out, it may not, but it sure sounded good at the time. And that's the way it is with a lot of our plans. You know, we make plans, they don't work out, and we say, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. So... Uh, but we, we're good at making plans as people, and that's, that's no different than what uh, Abraham was, was doing here. But it's not the first time. And you kind of, we read these Bible stories and we say, well, didn't this happen before? And so here we are in chapter 20. Well, all the way back in chapter 12, it's like Abraham did pretty much the same thing with pretty much the same result. So raise your hand if you have ever say it made the same mistake more than once. All right? Yeah, so turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you said that before, too, didn't you? Like the first time you made that mistake, you said, I'm not doing that again. And then we did it again. So, <laughs> right. And we can think, look at the history. All I'm encouraging you to do is read through the history of Abraham, and you'll see it's a history of God showing his faithfulness and promise and protection and provision for him. Time after time after time. God was faithful to Abraham. He revealed his promises to Abraham. He worked his miracles in the life of Abraham. And yet despite all of that history of experiencing God's faithfulness and promise, Abraham is still trying to take things into his own hands. And he has a history of God's protection and provision. You know, when, when, when God sent the angels that were going to pronounce judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he revealed this to Abraham. And Abraham was worried about his family that was living in those cities, Lot and his wife and their children and their grandchildren, and he was worried about them. So that's why, why Abraham negotiates with God to say, well... Let's say, for example, there's 30 people in the city that are still righteous. Will you still destroy it? And then he negotiates down to 20 and then finally down to 10. And he says, well, if there's 10 people, well, um, the end of that story is that because of Abraham's intervention and because of God's mercy, God rescued Abraham's family from 
from that city. And so Lot was, his relative Lot was rescued. And what that shows us is, is that God was offering his protection and faithfulness to Abraham. Um, and God had tested Abraham. You know, God had given him opportunities to show is he really trusting in God or is he trusting in himself? And he has a history of seeing God's faithfulness, even in the midst of great testing and trial. And yet, in spite of all of these things, still when he comes to this moment, Abraham has forgotten about all of those things. And all he's thinking in his mind is, what if? What if Abimelech has me killed so that he can take Sarah? What if he oppresses and subjugates Sarah, his wife? What if, what if, what if? And that's what fear does to us, isn't it? It brings all sorts of what ifs into our lives. And then we start thinking, of, okay, what can I do to solve my problem? Now, so when we ask the question of who, and this is the whole point of this series, is that when difficulties and challenges come, when we're betrayed, when we're alone, when we're abandoned, when we're broken, when, uh, when we're going through trials, we, we, we often ask the question, what am I going to do? But the question that we want you to ask during, the, this, uh, during this series is to, is to ask, who are you looking for? It's not the do question, it's the who question. And of course, the whole point of all of this is to say, when we go through trials and difficulties and struggles of all sorts of things, rather than first going to the action, going to the plan, going to the strategy, first let's look to God. Let's look to him, because all of this is beyond us, right? All of the challenges that we face, we feel powerless in our lives because we are powerless. But God isn't. Amen? God is all-powerful. Would you agree with that? God can do all things. Is there anything that God isn't able to do? God can do all things. He can do all things well. He's always present. He's always able. God is able to handle all of our problems. Amen? I mean, sometimes we might feel like, oh, I shouldn't bring this to God. I'm not sure he can handle it. I mean, uh, God can handle anything. And so, um, but oftentimes we're looking for the, the action that we should take, the plan that we should make, rather than the person that we should be inviting into the midst of our circumstances. And that person that we should be inviting in is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. All right. So despite this history, um, Abraham is still coming up with his own plans. But Abimelech as well is also asking, we, he, we're also asked that question, who is Abimelech looking for? And Abimelech is just looking for clarity. He's so confused about what's going on. Um, because Abimelech has welcomed Abraham and his family and he goes to sleep and all of a sudden he has this terrible dream. And, and basically the dream is he dreams that God says, I'm going to kill you. Now we, we have a lot of ideas about dreams here in Malawi, don't we? But usually when we're thinking about dreams, we're not thinking that the dream starts that way. 
Like, usually it's not God. God, I had a dream and God came to me last night and he said he's going to kill me. Usually it starts with God. I had a dream last night and God said he's going to bless me with abundance and jobs and all those things, right? Are you with me on it? Okay. But so this was a, a, a dream that Abimelech had where God appeared to him. And so he's confused because he's confused. Why? And God says, because this woman that you took to be your wife, she is another man's wife. And Abimelech says, but I didn't know. I'm innocent. And God says, yeah, I know. And I protected you in the midst of that. But you have to give her back. And if you don't give her back, I'm still going to kill you. And uh, so Abimelech is, is he's uh, confused and he's afraid. And, and that's what he's going through. But the thing about Abimelech is uh, Abimelech has... has, uh, has good intentions and motives. His heart, Abimelech's heart is in the right place in this story. And that's why God protects him. And it helps us to understand that when we're in times of confusion, that God also protects us in our weakness. He protects us in our ignorance and teaches us. And God is with us in our anxiousness. Um, and especially when we are sincerely experiencing those motives. So Abimelech, he wasn't prideful. He wasn't pushing God away. He wasn't, you know, Abraham was fearful that Abimelech didn't have the fear of the Lord. But what we see here and how he responds to the Lord, it tells us that he did. And because he was in that place, in that state, then God came to him, and even though he was weak, even though he was ignorant, even though he was anxious, God came even to Abimelech and spared him and helped him in the midst of that. And we can have that assurance as well when we're facing our fears, when we don't know what to do, when we don't understand what's happening, when we're anxious about everything that's around us. We can be sure that God is there with us even in the midst of our struggles. And that when we authentically and sincerely are looking for help, and our hearts are at a place of receptivity and they're teachable. God comes to the midst of us in those situations with His protection, with His wisdom, and with His presence. But not only was it Abimelech who was asking a question, so Abraham asked, Who was Abraham looking for? Abraham was looking for escape. Who is Abimelech looking for? Abimelech was looking for clarity. But what was God looking for? God was looking for trust. God was looking for Abraham to remember. So this is a story about fear, failure, and faith. But we also learn from the life of Abraham that while he, he was looking for safety, assurance, and escape, God was looking for trust. Abraham was afraid of his own death. Sarah was afraid of abandonment and enslavement. And Abimelech was afraid of God. And he was confused. All of this took place because Abraham had not learned fully enough to stop trusting in himself so much and to start turning to God.
Abraham was looking for a way out when he should have been looking for God's presence. And so often we in our lives, we become paralyzed by fear. We become so afraid because the fear seems so big and God seems so small. But the key to overcoming fear is to get our eyes off of our problems and our fears and to get them onto God so that we can remember once again how big God is but how small our fears are. And the reason why we struggle so much with problems and we ask the questions of where is God is because we really aren't looking for God, we're just looking for escape. And so the answer is to start getting our eyes away from our problems, away from our solutions, away from our strategies and onto God himself and his presence. It's the presence of God that makes all the difference. In this story, that's what God is calling us to do, is to look for him in the midst of our trials, storms, and fears. And so what God does is he puts Abraham in a situation, in a place where Abraham has to remember all of God's faithfulness, all of God's promises, all of God's goodness. And God is calling on Abraham to trust in God's good intentions. And sometimes we're not sure about God's intentions, but we can be sure through the word of God that his, his intentions are good. God desires your blessing, your well-being. He, he desires for you to experience joy and love and peace and all of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. All of goodness, he wants you to experience that. And, but he also knows how you best experience those things. And how do you best experience all the goodness that God has for you? It's to be near him. You see, it's not about the things that we get, get from God. It's about God himself being with us, near us, and us near him. Him abiding in us, us abiding in him. That's what will get us through times of fear and struggle and anguish. Amen? That's the way it works. And so God wanted, wanted Abraham to remember about his good intentions. That he didn't need to be afraid about himself or his wife. Because God's been faithful to him up till now. And he's going to continue to be faithful to him. And that's why we need to remember. I mean, we need to remember that... that the problem we're going through now isn't the first time we've had a problem. And it's not the first time we've been depending on God to come to our help. And we can all look at our history and say, I have a history with God. I can look back and say, I was in this problem, in this struggle, and I prayed to God. And he came and he helped me. And he was with me. And I look back and I see I would never have made it through that without God. Amen? And when we have those experiences, they're given to us for a purpose so that in the now, we can remember the then. And that if God is faithful then, he's going to be faithful now. Because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And God is faithful. The word of God says we may be unfaithful, but God is always faithful. God always fulfills his promises. God always comes through. Amen? Because that's the God that we serve. There isn't any problem that's too big for him. Because of who he is. And, so, so, and, and God loves you. You're here today because God loves you. He has good intentions for you. 
You may be going through the season of your life where you're wondering where God is, but, but I'm telling you that he's right with you. You may not be able to see him, but he's there because the word of God says that he's there. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you have to walk through in this life, I'm going to be so near to you, nearer than breath, that all you have to do to find me is just to turn and say, please, Lord Jesus, help me. And God says, I'm here, right beside you. Just because we can't feel him doesn't mean he isn't there. God is there. God's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. Amen? So God is with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is with you today. He is with you. So God has good intentions. You can trust in that. You can trust in God's nearness and care. And you can trust in God's power and wisdom. We serve a God who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? And the, and the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Because if you are born again, if you know Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit within you is within you. And His Holy Spirit within you is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We serve a God who is able to divide seas, bring water out of the rocks, pour out bread from heaven. He, he was able to do miracles where, 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 where the people of God went for, for 40 years without getting sick and their clothes didn't wear out. This is the kind of God we serve. Amen? And so we can trust in God's power and wisdom. He has the power and the wisdom to take care of your problems. And so when it comes to our fears, we, most of the time we just want the fears to go away. But God wants us to learn to rest in Him, to turn to Him, to look to Him, and not to look at the fears or to look at the what-ifs or our possible solutions. You know, we come up with brilliant solutions all the time to our problems, but that's not what God wants. I think God's able to come up with good solutions on His own. Amen? I think He's all-wise. What God wants is for us to turn to Him. And most of the time when we're facing a problem, we might pray, but then we start thinking about all the ways we're going to dig ourselves out of this problem. And then we want to ask God to bless our plans. When all we ought to do is being sitting and waiting and saying, God, I'm looking for you. I need you. I need your presence, oh God. And it should be instructive to us that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, when he was, after they had had the Lord's Supper, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he do? He prays. He prays, he prays, he prays, and he, and he looks to see where God is. And he's honest with God. He says, God, I wish that this cup could pass for me, but if it's your will, I'll go through it for you. And he drew strength because God sent angels, it says, to comfort him and to strengthen him in the midst of his weakness. You see, that's why we turn to God in these situations is because when we're facing our fears, 
that are paralyzing us. And how do we make it through that paralysis? Only with God. Only with his presence. Only with Jesus. Jesus wants to walk through your problems. Walk through your fears. Walk through your brokenness with you. Because he loves you. God, God isn't. Sometimes we think that God is just waiting for us to make a mistake so that he can punish us or judge us or something like that. No. God is for you. He wants you to make it. He has a plan for you. And the plan for you is to be with him. And for you and him to go through it together. And you will make it. When you are walking with him. So. God wants us to learn to rest in him, to turn to him, to look to him, and not to look at our fears or our what-ifs or our possible solutions. God wants us to turn to him, to Christ, to Jesus and his nearness. He may rescue us, and we praise God for those moments. But he may ask us to walk through a tough time with him. But if we're with him, we're going to make it. The, the psalmist that said, Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, a feast in the presence of my enemies. If God is with us, we can walk through anything. Hallelujah. Anything. And sometimes we have to walk through seasons that we don't understand. And they're confusing and they were bewildering. We don't know what the answers are. And we don't know what God is doing. But we can still make it when we know that he's with us. Even in our confusion. When life doesn't make sense. And life a lot of times doesn't make sense. The key to making it through is to making a subtle turn to Christ. It's, it's simple. You turn to him and say, please, Lord, help me, Lord. Christ, I'm depending on you. That's what we do in those moments. One of my favorite prayers is, is that I pray a lot is, Jesus, I am yours. Save me. So crying out to Jesus moment by moment, that's the key. So who are you looking for when you are afraid? May it be Jesus and him alone. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we, we know, God, that you are God. You are all powerful. You are able to do abundantly far above anything that we can think or imagine. But God, we're also human beings, and Lord, sometimes we just have to confess to you that our fears get the better of us. Sometimes our fears become so big to us. So Lord, please forgive us for forgetting how glorious, how majestic, how powerful, how loving, how merciful, how holy, how good you are, God. You are so good. 
And you love us so much. And, and Lord, how could we ever doubt how much you love us when you showed us your son, Jesus Christ, and sent him for us, and he died for us. And there's no greater sign of love than this. Because your word says this is love. Not that we loved you, but that you sent your son for us. You, God, are the definition of love. And you've promised that you're with us. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. Especially for those today who are paralyzed by fear. And they don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And they need you, Father. They need you right in the midst of their struggles, of their fears, of their confusion. God, would you please do something today? We ask you. Do something today to show your presence, to show your reality, to show that you are there, God. We're calling out to you, God, and we're asking for you to intervene. And we're trusting, Lord, because you are faithful. And you have always been faithful, and you will always be faithful, Lord God. Thank you for the example of Abraham. But Father, we also pray you'd show us today, this week, of your faithfulness and your goodness and your mercies. So, Father, we are trusting in you. We look to you. We say, Jesus, we are yours. Save us. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.